Listen. That's the sound of a Singer sewing machine, number 99K. According to the serial number on the base of the machine, it was made in 1953 in Clydebank, Scotland, not too far from Glasgow. What the serial number doesn't tell you is that my father purchased this machine from my mother sometime in the early 50s. Thoughtful, because my mother loved to sew. Practical, because they already had two children and would add three more over the next several years. For me, the sound is comforting. It was an alarm clock on Saturday mornings and sometimes the last thing I heard before dozing off. Sometimes it was frightening, like when I pressed the foot pedal a little too hard during lessons with my mother. Once I got comfortable, I would sew so fast that my father would say, slow down Mario Andretti and watch out on the turns, comparing the speed of my needle to the speed of a Formula One racing champion. It was a soundtrack for many conversations as my mother made clothes for school, play, and fancy dresses for church. For her, it was a joy and a necessity. For me, it's the voice of an old friend, occasionally dusted off into 30 years under my care, until the pandemic sent me into mask-making mode. In this episode of Refrangible, the object at the center of our conversation is the sewing machine. According to Nancy Dorrell, her sewing machine is in constant use. She uses skills handed down from grandmother to mother and bolstered by home ec classes to create quilts for those she loves and those in need. She makes them for those who have served in the military for the Quilts of Valor Foundation. She makes them for women in shelters and homeless people. She belongs to a sewing group that meets monthly at her local senior center. Undaunted by the pandemic, they met in a park to exchange ideas. Doral even worked with kids at a local fabric store, and she says they were really, really good. Yeah, her machine is in pretty much constant use. My mother was the oldest of nine kids, so her, her um, female siblings all sewed all of their clothing. My mother sewed clothing for herself up till she was 90. So it was kind of a family tradition that you, you sewed. And my mom herself made all of our clothes growing up. There were four four girls in our family. And I don't know that I ever had any store-bought dresses or whatever. No holiday went by without everybody getting all new dresses. Uh, My mom was just a a miracle worker. I remember when we got married, when Mike and I got married, we had, she made my wedding dress. She just laid the fabric out, no pattern cut stuff up, sewed it, and that was it. My mother was very impatient with us. So I I didn't learn a lot from her. But when I got to to, um, eighth grade, I think it was seventh or eighth grade, we had to take home ec. That's where I started learning to sew in home ec. And I remember first thing we had to make was an apron. And I remember uh, as as the semester went on, I had a younger sister who was 12 years younger than I, and I made her a dress, and I thought that was really cool. I don't know that the apron really made me feel I accomplished anything because I was so used to people in my family sewing. To me, it was just a progression. You know, okay, it's my turn to learn how to do this. 
about when I made the dress for my little sister. That 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 made me proud. I can still remember. Oh, it had a gathered skirt and puffy sleeves, and was a little print with a little lace around the collar. And it, you know, I learned how to do set-in sleeves. I learned how to put on a collar. Oh, it was cute. <laughs> it felt like I was helping my mom out a little bit, you know. Well, I think that my kids were not all that interested in sewing, um, but I had a very good sewing machine that had a low gear that would go, it, the sewing machine would go much slower and it would be easy for beginners to use it. And I think that they, they both got interested in, oh, hey, I would like a pair of shorts, for instance. I remember, like, especially Catherine, making a lot of pairs of shorts. And if I didn't have time, she wanted to do it. And another thing that she, I, I remember is Catherine was in a Girl Scout troop until she was in, into high school. And I remember the Girl Scouts doing a sewing badge. And I, I vaguely remember them all using my sewing machine and sewing something. I don't know what. I don't remember what they sewed. Some years ago, she came back from Hawaii with lots of beautiful batik fabrics, and she made a quilt with all those beautiful colored fabrics, and I quilted that for her. I was just very impressed with how she put that together, and, and then when she asked me to quilt it, I did, of course. I mean, it must be in our genes, because we are, you know, from my grandma on, everybody sewed. So hopefully, I know that, that Catherine and Jenny are both too busy to do much sewing, but I think as they get older, they might. Well, you know, I, when I bought that sewing machine, it cost a lot of money for us at that point in time. But I felt like it was worth it, that it had features that would help both me and the kids with sewing. And I have, I still have that machine, but it doesn't work very well anymore. Um, but I have since graduated to an electronic machine, and which cost a whole lot more money. But I love it, and it never, it, it's just wonderful. I enjoy sewing. I love the challenge of putting together things that I just happen to have around. <laughs> I can just go downstairs and I can dig through stuff because I've got a lot of it there. So it, it, it's a challenge. It's fun. Oh, I don't think it's, it's a necessity anymore because it's, it's less expensive all the way around to buy your clothes. But I think for your own personal satisfaction, sewing is a good thing. My name is Catherine, and my mother, Nancy, taught me how to sew. I can't say that I remember the first time I sat down and sewed, but I do remember picking out patterns, picking out fabrics, picking out the notions that go with what you picked out. At the fabric store, you'd look at patterns and mom would say, that's too complicated, or that one could work, you know, things like that. And then going home and trying it and failing and having her fix things or do them for us if they were too hard. 
So I, I remember generally, but not specifically, the first time I might have sat down and learned how to sew. I think at first, when you're younger, it was everyone, all hands on deck. You know, we'd be down in the sewing room and going back and forth, sitting down at the sewing machine, standing up and having someone else sit down at the sewing machine. So it was a real cooperative effort at first. Um, then later on, maybe in high school or in college, um, it would be more of a solitary thing where I would make things, but then I'd always bring them to Nancy when I couldn't do it or I, I messed something up and it needed fixing, that kind of thing. I think the sound of the sewing machine is a very um, comfortable and familiar sound. Uh, I think sometimes it depends upon what you're sewing. Um, if you're trying to get an outfit done because you want to wear it that night, it's a sound that's very intense and it's a sound of needing to get something done. If you're working on a longer term project, it's a sound of you know relaxation. It's a sound of tuning the world out and being able to focus on just that one task for a while. Well, right now it really doesn't work into my life much at all. Um, I always have ideas about sewing things and very little execution of those ideas. I can tell you that um, this spring, um, I did teach my boyfriend's child how to sew. They had learned a little bit about sewing in school and came home and said, do you have a sewing machine? Do you know how to sew? And I said, yeah. And then we got out the machine and um, they were really interested in learning how to do it. And we pulled out the sewing machine and the box of fabric and they picked out fabrics and sat down at the machine and we sewed together for a whole day. And that was really fun. They are very creative and very artistic in other ways. And they were able to find a way to be an artist at the sewing machine, which was really neat to see. I think they would love to do it again, but that really isn't going to happen again for a while because we simply don't have the time. When I retire, I'd love to have a situation where I could set up a machine in a room where I can just go down there whenever I want and sew whatever I want um, because it's so fun and it's really relaxing and, you know, it, it's kind of like playing the piano for me, too. I don't do that anymore because I don't have time to get good at it again. Um, but when you do it, you're transformed. You kind of move into another world and you can kind of let your cares fall to the side and really focus on the, the act of, of creativity, which, you know, you miss when you're, you're a busy professional person. I just think that when you have the opportunity to learn a skill, an art, uh, you should always take it. And I always admired my grandma. My grandmothers on both sides actually um, were into sewing and, and textiles. My dad's mom had a loom in her basement, a big loom that she made carpets on. And I always admired that. And I always saw that as um, really admirable. Uh, and it's a way to have a creative outlet and it's a way of being creative and practical sometimes at the same time. So maybe it is in my DNA. I don't know. Maybe it's because I grew up around it. But it's something that um, I really love. And I know my sister does too because when she got married, she made her own wedding outfit on her sewing machine. And that's pretty neat.
I would be really sad if I didn't have a sewing machine in my life, even though it sits on a shelf in the basement right now. I know it's there, and if I want to, I could make myself a dress, or I could make a baby blanket for someone who's having a baby. I can do what anything I want on that machine, and it's very reassuring. It's been a reassuring presence in my whole, in my life, my entire life. Sharon Williams about her life, she will tell you she knows hard times well. She grew up in a tiny town called Boykin, Alabama, made famous by another name, G's Bend, and infamous by its ties to slavery. It was named after plantation owner Joseph G. It was later sold to Mark H. Petway, and even though it changed hands again, many of the enslaved families kept the name Petway. Sharon Williams was born Sharon Petway. When outsiders write about G's Bend, they like to use quaint descriptions like, it's a hamlet in the bend of the Alabama River. Sharon Williams will tell you her hometown is so small, it has only one road leading in and out. She will also tell you that the young people won't stay, and living in G's Bend could leave your soul wanting more. There is also something beautiful in G's Bend. In 1969, there was an article written in The New Yorker about a sewing center paid for with the money the women of G's Bend made by selling their quilts. In 1983, the quilters were the subject of an exhibition sponsored by the Alabama Humanities Foundation. That led to an oral history project for the Birmingham Public Library. Right now, the quilters of G's Bend can proudly say they have quilts in major museums and galleries across the country, including the Whitney Museum in New York. This spring, the Center for Design and Material Culture at UW-Madison purchased one of the quilts created by Sharon Williams. Sharon Williams knows hard times well. Spend a little time with her, and you'll find she knows beauty, peace, and happiness even better. And just a quick note before we jump into this next segment. As mentioned, Sharon lives in rural Alabama, so the phone line is a bit warbly at some times, especially when she's sitting outside quilting when you decide to make the call. Growing up in GB, just me, I don't know about anybody ever, me and my sister and brothers, that we had a hard time. When school time come, daddy kept us out of school until we got up with the cotton. We had to get up, get pick the cotton and, and, and uh, get the field straight before we even started school. We were late going to school. And the kids used to always tease us by, y'all, y'all, y'all love to pick cotton, y'all stay in the field all the time. And we didn't have the clothes and stuff like other people. We used to, well, one like uh, a pair of shoes, that it, it got so bad that we had to, you know, staple them together because they were like worn out. And then the clothes and stuff, like we wear them like two days and had to wash the next day. And then we used to wash on rubbo, the tub and stuff on the outside. That's something I don't wish on nobody today. I used to tell my children all the time, y'all, uh, tell my grandchildren and my child, I said, y'all got it made. 
I said, if we had it like we all got today, it, it, I guess we'll be a better person. We, you know, uh, I, not be a better person, but it it seemed like we had it good. So we had to do all the chores around the house. My mama, she worked in the field with us, with us for a long time. And after a while, the doctor took my mama out of the, the field with us. So my mama came home and went to equipment. And that's how I got to uh, doing my equipment stuff, you know, from her. Even though we did win the field, but when we get home, my mama rolled the quip up and uh, tell her, don't mess with my quip. <laughs> but, you know, I was hard-headed. I, I, I mess with her quip all the time. I was trying to learn how to sew. And uh, and, and she found that I, I know how to sew, you know, we're making no stitches. She said, oh, you can help me with my quip now. And that's how I, you know, got to learn how to quilt through my mom. And for us, sewing was something that was always fun. It wasn't something that was a necessity. Every once in a while, I might have to make a dress for something, but that was my choice, and it was fun. So it seems to me that for you, it, even though you wanted to do it and you you wanted to learn from your mother, it wasn't something that was all fun. It was necessary for you to learn how to do that. It sure was. Really, it was. Because uh, they keep warm and stuff. Uh, you know, like we got it now. We keep our heat on all night to keep warm, you know, keep heat on. But we didn't have it like that coming up with heat all through our house and stuff like like today. Back in there, to get warm and stuff, we had to tote wood out of the wood to make fire and stuff. We used to keep have a fireplace. We used to keep fire all night long to try to keep keep the house warm. And then the quilt, you know, my mama had special quilt. She had quilt, well, you no, know, put on our bed, and then she had quilt for when when we have company. She would bring out the good quilt for the company, and you know, and, and our quilt we had on our bed and stuff. We used to have to wash them in a pot. I, on the outside, you know, to, to get our quilt clean and stuff, to keep, you know, putting on our bed and stuff. And to keep warm, like at night, <laughs> you know, when we go jump in the bed, we used to get our quilt and bring it into the fireplace and warm our quilt and run back in there and get up and get in the bed, cover up with it. And, and you know, that kept us warm all night long, our quilt. I can remember, Sharon, you said my mother is from Kosciuszko, Mississippi, and my father's from Memphis. And hearing uh-huh. you talk about having a special quilt for company re, re, just takes me back because I used to get so mad at my mother because we uh-huh. couldn't sleep under the pretty stuff. We had to save the pretty yeah. stuff for when company came. I would try to, yeah. I don't know how I thought I could sneak and do it, but I would try to sneak and get my pretty quilt to, to get under when company uh-huh. came and not use the old everyday one. Yeah, that's right. That's what we had to do, use the Either she'll get them quilt and air them out, you know. When she know we have them coming, she'll get them quilt and we'll hang them on the line, you know. You don't see that too much now, you know. People airing their quilts out on the line when they fall on the year and stuff like that. But I do that now. I get all my quilts where I got in my closet. I, if they dirty, I wash them. If they ain't dirty, I, you know, they build up like dust and stuff in the closet. I get my quilt and I hang them on my line. When I hang them all on the line, I just get up my picture camera sometime, and I mean my phone, and just take my 
pictures off my my crib, and they be looking so neat on the line. So then tell me, Sharon, where, when you were younger and making quilts, where did you get the materials to make the quilt from? Oh, boy, you know, old clothes, old clothes. You know, uh, back in the day, we used to have flour come in, flour come in the sacks. They used to sell flour, what you cook with, come, mm-hmm. in, the, come in the little, little sacks. We used to use that and old clothes. Like it's, it's some of our clothes old and we it will grow out of them and nobody, you know, we paid clothes on to family members and stuff like that back in then. But, you know, old clothes and stuff, we didn't wear no more. And, and we used to, you know, tan them up, cut them up and just make quilts. It didn't, it didn't matter how it looked as long as it was together, you know. Uh, you know, you uh, the pretty quilt. You know, uh, uh, some people be you know try to make their quilt so unique and so pretty. It, it don't matter. It didn't matter back in the end how that quilt was. Long as you had a quilt on you to keep you warm. You got to treasure stuff that you know that you make and 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 and, and create and, and stuff like that. But you know, me myself, I love color. Now I guess that's why I love color so much because you know. I love a quilt with color. So back in then, we just made a plain quilt. Uh, just a plain quilt. Sometimes it'll have one or two colors in it, you know, a couple color, colors in it. And But today's quilt, you know, they, they they excite me by the color and, and the, some of the designs and stuff in it. And you can look at some of the design with older people did way back in then. It's coming out. It's really, it, it brings the quilts out. So, Sharon, can you tell me, did, do you think that quilting with your mother brought you closer to her? Tell me about what it was like to sit and work with your mother on a quilt. Oh, uh, it was really nice. To me, yes, it brought me closer because, you know, it was something that I, I could do with my mother. Me and her could do it, do it together. I don't know what happened to my sister because she acted like she don't know how to make a quilt. <laughs> but I can't. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I, I can't remember her helping us on that quilt. I just can't remember that. And and, and she really showing me because she sure don't know how to do a quilt. <laughs> <laughs> she don't know, she don't know nothing about sewing or nothing like that. You know, she know I live by sewing and, you know, this is, but she don't, she don't know nothing about no quilt. <laughs> so tell me, yeah. tell me a story. Do you remember your mother telling you any stories while you were quilting? Is there, are there any stories you can tell me that she told you? To tell the truth, when I first started sewing, I used to sit under the quilt. Uh, my mama used to be in there just sewing, and I used to sit on the quilt and just watch her. You know, you know, they sit on the quilt as a uh, as a girl. They sit there and just watch it. And my mama used to get up from the crib or go to the bathroom or go check on the food. I get in her chair and I thought making stitches. And so one day she 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 told me, she said, Stay from on that crib, you're gonna get stuck with that needle. I said, Yes, ma'am. And when she tired she left out of there, I went up there messing with the needle, trying to say, you know, making stitches. So she she stood in the door while I was up in there. She I didn't see her watching me. She said, uh-huh, you can sew a little bit. So I got somebody to help me sew now. And so that's how I really started sewing. My mama saw that I knew how to make a stitch. And so, you know, she 
gave me my needle and my strand, and so I sat up to the crib with her and just watch, you know, so help her soul. So Sharon, once you once she figured out that you could help her, did that mean that you spent less time in the field, or was that on top of what you had to do in the field? No, ma'am. I still had to do that time in the field. I only had time like in the in the evening time when I get out of the field. Like I said, we used to stay in field till late, late. But after I get home and be ate my supper and stuff, my mama be still in there sewing. I go in there and help her. So did this for you? Was this close to playing? Did you have much time to play? Me and my nie- uh, nieces and nephew, we grew up together. My sister, oldest sister, children, we grew up together. We played with each other, you know, you know, all the time. But going out the the, uh, the neighbor's house and playing stuff like that, we we ain't have time to do none of that. But my daddy, he kept us in the field. We ain't had time to like associate and go to dances and and, and stuff like that. We didn't do that and, and walk the road and stuff like that. We didn't do that. Guess that's why I don't too much associate now. I just mostly stay myself at home and and so good. Uh, most every day, you uh, if anybody know me, they pay my heart. They see me out here on this, on my porch uh, with a quip up like right now. It's early, but I'm out here with a quill right now, so on, and talking to you. Mm. So then walk me through making a quilt. Okay. To start a quilt, you have to have your cotton, the lining, get the lining straight first, and then you got to put the cotton in the between, and then you got to do your topping. Okay, to put the top, get your topping ready, you have to put them pieces, put some colors together, Put the, uh, sew all your pieces together and say, well, I'm going to make this quilt here today. I'm not going to go buy no pattern. I'm just going to sew. So I just get some pieces of material together, and I sew it on my sewing machine. Uh, I get my sewing machine and, and start putting me some pieces together and start sewing. When I get through with that quilt and say, well, this big enough, this for queen size, a king size, or full size. Okay, I got that straight. Okay, next I'm gonna uh, give me a lining, you know, of uh, the back of the quilt. I'm gonna give me a, a piece of material. Uh, uh, back in the day, we used to get them uh, sacks. Would you uh, uh, full out? They used to call them full out sacks. We used to uh, get the full out sacks and put them together and make a, a lining for the quilt. But today we use a lining. We we buy it out of you know the store. Either we order. Get the line together, and then we get the line together. We have to get the uh, the inside the cotton. You know, back in the day, the cotton we used to beat the cotton out. That was back in the day, we used to use that, like they say, real cotton. We used to get a stick and beat the cotton to get flat. You know, enough so it could be fluffy and and flat in the quilt. And uh. And that's how we used to do it back in the day. But today we just got some cotton, you know, you could just roll it out and put it in between there. You won't have to hit it and, and straighten it out no more like, you know, what we used to do way back in there. That, that's kind of make it kind of easy on us, on uh, the, the sewer quilt. But like I said, back in the day, we used to beat the cotton out to put it in a quilt. I mean, just get it, get a, a stick and just, just whoop the cotton tail, it whooped up enough. To go in a quilt and, and, and all the lumps and stuff be out of it. So back okay. then, you had to use fabric from old clothes. 
And you talked yeah. about um, using color, how much you'd love color. So tell me what it's like now to be able to make a quilt out of any color in any fabric you choose. Well, not any fabric because it's always cotton, right? Yeah. I, I, uh, it's so exciting because, like I said, the color, like, brings out, you know, make you happy. You know, like some people say, oh, that make me happy. The color make me happy, you know, to have different colors to work with. Back in the days, you know, the old clothes were more faded and stuff like that, and we still use it. It still had a little color to it, but we still use it to, uh, to make quilt with. And the colors of the day is real unique. I, l- I love the colors they got I got today. I'm from the Center of Design and Material Culture at the at the UW Madison, and the quilt uh-huh. we purchased from you is absolutely gorgeous. It's the one with the um, stars and stripes. Can you tell me a little bit about making that quilt? Oh, I had that piece of material. I don't know how I come by that piece of material. It just, every time I pull my stuff up, just the work on something to sew, that material just come up in my face. It just come up every time. I don't know how I come by. I think I came by by, like, people were giving away, like, old clothes and old old clothes and sometimes material stuff. I think I came by that piece of material by old clothes or something. And every time I sew, I, 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 when I go through my stuff with my tote with my uh, sewing stuff at, that color just come up. And I, one day I looked at it, I said, I'm going to do something with this. And, you know, I just got my sewing machine. I went to doing this. And then I said, this look good. Then I just start, you know, putting it together, and and that's what I, that's what I came up with. It just like it just kept on jumping at me, you know. Do something with this. Do something with this, and and that's what I came up with. So it's a lot of stars. It's a lot of stripes, and it's really. Yeah. I, I love how like the thickness of the strips changes. Yeah. Is that yeah. the typical G's Ben quilt? Is it always strips? Mostly it is. With me, I love the strip too. They, they, uh, you know, I love to do the strip. The strip, you you know, you ain't going by no pattern. It's just, uh, you know, just doing the strip, just doing your thing, freestyling, you know, with your thing. Wherever you pick up, you just put it together. <laughs> <laughs> so, but even with the freestyling, there's like a pattern to it. There's, it looks, you know, what it looks like? It looks to me like music. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it, it just sounds so silly, but it's just pretty. It's a pretty, pretty, pretty thing. Yes, it is. I had that quilt for, um, uh, for ooh, I believe, about two years before I got got the, got a chance to put it on Etsy, you know. I had it and, it, you know, didn't know what to do with it. I just liked it. I just had it fold up in my tote and stuff where I do my quilts and stuff. I just had it fold up there and then, you know, until I, you know, Got signed up with Essa and, and, and went to put my stuff on Essa. And then I said, I know what, I got that quilt. I'm going to put that on Essa. And I just, you know, I had my bigger quilts on there. And then I said, I did something. And I went in and looked at my totes and went through my uh, stuff. And I said, I'm going to put this on there. See what this going to go to. So then talk to me about what does it mean now? Because we have one of your quilts in our collection. What does it mean? To, how was how do you wrap your brain around it, Sharon? You go from someone who's working in the fields. You don't, you know, you're, you're picking cotton. You're sewing with your mother, and now people are buying your quilts and putting them in art galleries. 
Did you ever think this would happen? I never thought this would happen. I'm at 62 years old, and like I said, I never, I never thought this would happen. I'm so, I'm so grateful and so thankful for what, you know, what I don't, you know, accomplished that I don't know what to do. I, I, I really enjoy doing what I'm doing, and, and like I like I said on my write-up, I enjoy making quilts because it makes people happy and it makes me happy. So then, Sharon, now that you're, has this changed the way you feel about your quilts? Do you, when you were making them before, it seems like you were making them for yourself and for family and, and, and just for your own sort of collection. Now yeah. that you're making them to sell to other people, has that changed the way you you approach making a quilt? Yes, it changed. It changed a lot. It it changed the way that you know. Uh, I usually just make a you know say I'm just gonna make this old plain trip. I'm just gonna you know do the the lines and line quip or just do a do the nine pack, the six pack and stuff like that. But you know, since I've been sewing, you know, I I be wanting stuff you know to make quip to make people happy and uh, and love my work. And then I don't only do quilts. I do bags, too. I've been doing bags for as long as I do my little bags. I try, I try to, you know, do do more than one thing, you know. I worked in the sewing factory for years. We used to make uniforms in the sewing factory. I worked on that until my hip got bad, you know, and I had to come out that sewing factory. So when you were in the sewing factory, did you still make quilts at home? Yes, I did. Now, on my on my little spare time I, at night before I go to bed after I come to work and stuff, I do my little chores I have to do around the house and, and I thought on me a quilt. I had left him, left Morgan G. Ben for about six years, five or six years. I had left and then I, stayed, I went to Birmingham. I didn't like it up in Birmingham because I, I didn't have nothing to do. I, did, I, I didn't do quilts and Stuff up there, cause you know, I didn't, you know, have have the space and stuff up there, cause I had a little two room apartment, me and my daughter. I stayed in Birmingham for a long time. Then after I left Birmingham, I went on to Georgia. I didn't like it in Georgia, so I I moved back to G B in 2005, and and I just just started went to someone, you know, doing doing quilt. So, Sharon, have you ever had a vacation? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. Before I went, my children took me to, to Florida. I, uh, 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 I think not Florida. Uh, I, yeah, I might have been Florida, too. <laughs> 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 Florida. They took me to Florida to the beach, and, and I enjoyed that beach. So I told them, children, when I, if I get some more money, Y'all can bring me back because I really enjoy myself. <laughs> <laughs> so when really, you're sewing, are you listening to music? What are you? Are you singing? What are you doing while you're sewing? I got my music on. I got my radio. Everyone, I told you, let me turn my music down because that's the only company. I don't need no company to sew. You know what I mean? I don't need nobody attraction and talking and stuff because you know it looked like to me it lose my consecration let me let me do my sewing and stuff and, and i get get my radio and turn on when i get the beat i'm i'm sewing i'm just listening at the radio all day long 
doing my sewing, and I really enjoy the radio, and I just go ahead and I can show enough so. My grandchildren, they, they be online on class, so I don't have to worry with them. <laughs> Do you, when you sit down and sew, are you surprised at how much time has passed? Yes, yes, yes. It, it done caught me like that many days. I said, well, I'm going to town today and, and pick up some uh, 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 material, uh, 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 pick some goes up. When I know one thing, is uh, it's afternoon. I said, oh, my God, I'm selling here and sold myself to death. <laughs> I said, I'm so that China just don't sneak up on me. So, Sharon, is there anything you want to tell me that I didn't ask you? Did someone have really made a change, you know, by me selling my quip on Etsy? I, I I really enjoy doing what I'm doing. I love what I'm doing, and and, and I and I ain't on nobody time limit. I, I either feel like sewing or I don't. So someday I don't really feel like it. I come out here, look like to me everything go wrong. I, I, I <laughs> my strap be breaking or or you know it just I just can't get something right. If I'm on my sewing machine, I just can't get something right. Look like to me the machine just act up and everything. I, it, it, but when when my mind says, Sharon, you could do this today, uh, my mind lead me out here and sew to my little camper out here. I get out here, I sew up a stone. I just be sewing, you don't hear nothing going but the sewing machine. But in my good days and stuff, I come out here and get on my quilt. My, it, it, it depends on what I feel like doing when I get up. Either I'm going to get on my sewing machine or I'm going to sit down to a quip and quip it. And when I sit down to a quip and quip, my mind ain't on nothing but they doing this quip. I got to finish this quip and go ahead on do this quip. And and uh, and and, and uh, the, uh, working with these quips and stuff, you know, it, it look like it's a mind. You no, know, it do it, it like it just uh, free my mind from all the worries and and just, just, just relax me. I just, like I say, I just relax when I'm out here somewhere. And like I'm, I sit out here on my porch and stuff, and got this quilt up, and just looking at the birds. And and I got a, is a, a cow pasture right off in the front of my house. Uh, and I just look out there at the cows and and and, and, and the trees and stuff. I'm just relaxed out here in my yard. Now, pal. I don't go by a pattern. I do not like to sew by a pattern, period. <laughs> I, I just don't know. I don't know why. I just don't like to do do pattern. I just like to do my freestyle. Just make no go and say, sit down to a machine and say, I'm going to do it this way. Uh, wherever it come, uh, what way it come out, it's a quip. <laughs> that's, that's what I think. <laughs> what way it come out, it's a quip. <laughs> The last 100 years aside, for all of human history, clothing creation has been done by hand. Now, while there are many men who know their way around a needle and thread, sewing has for centuries lived under the umbrella of women's work. It was a necessity to keep the family clothed and warm. Then, in the past 100 years, something changed. As the world moved through the Industrial Revolution, we began to shift our clothing creation from the home to the factory. But the industrialization of clothing manufacturing was a double-edged sword. 
On one hand, it created more time for women to seek work and satisfaction outside of the home. Less time hunkered over a sewing machine meant more time to work another job or finish a college degree. But on the other hand, taken to its extreme, industrialization has distanced us from the creation of what we wear. In most cases, that's a literal distance, as clothing manufacturing has been outsourced to countries across the planet. Here in America, that means we can just brush off the byproducts of large-scale industrial textile manufacturing, also known as fast fashion. Let's use a single isolated example to illustrate this point. Now, according to the World Resources Institute, a single cotton t-shirt will consume 2,700 liters of water during its production. That's enough drinking water for a single person for more than two years, for one cotton t-shirt. And I've got like 10 of those in my closet right now. That's more than 20 years of drinking water hanging in my closet. And don't even get me started on how damaging blue jeans are to the environment. So what's the solution? Across the world, people's consumption of clothing has grown dramatically over the past several decades, and that consumption is only expected to increase in the coming years. Well, according to Dr. Majid Sarmadi, an expert in textile sciences at UW-Madison, there's no easy answer. Our clothing manufacturing industry has become so entrenched in its practices that it will take a dramatic overhaul to shift. As Dr. Sarmadi explains, there's a tendency to greenwash things like using exclusively organic fibers, while demonizing all aspects of modern clothing manufacturing. Those organic fibers can still have a wicked environmental impact, and synthetic fibers can have major benefits. Dr. Sarmadi takes us from here. In past 40 years of my research, I have tried to come up with processes to reduce the amount of water, the amount of chemical, and amount of air pollution, and water pollution. So you can come up with processes. You can use technology to improve these things, but don't oversell these things to people. Let people become overconfident. For example, when we came up with LED lights, they were overselling these things to people. Why is overselling? Because LED lights, the light output is not as much as the regular light bulb. The lumen per watt is not as much. So what it's in people using more light bulbs to compensate for that. And then another thing is they think, oh, is LED, they keep it longer. So the, what they do is they don't turn the lights as much because now they are using LED. Oh, they don't lose much. They don't use much. Do you know what I mean? So the same thing with closing. Well, oh, this is sustainable. I want one more. When you are sold that this is okay, you do more of it. You buy more of it. And that's good for the pocket of the textile industry, but is it good for the mother nature? Is it good for our future generations? So overselling causes that problem. Now, obviously, a lot of the solutions will have to be either by researchers such as yourself or at, at an industrial level. Um, so what I can do personally is essentially just buy less. You know, it, it's not just spending my money on organic materials or, or materials that have been, quote, greenwashed and just being like, oh, this is fine. It's just, frankly, we, we have to consume less. Well, that's one. That's one way. 
but our scientists at the same time can come up with the processes to be energy efficient, use of less water, less resources, it can help too. So it has to be effort. When you are creating something, you got to know as a designer, from the inception all the way to the end, end of life, what happens to it? Cell phones are made in a way that we are changing it every two years. Do you know how much plastic goes to waste? How much other things are going to waste because of this? Do I need to change my cell phone every two, three years? So it's not only textiles. What I want to say is we have to look at every day of our life if you want to be a good citizen. Everything that we are consuming, everything that we are using, we are going to the bank and withdrawing from Mother Nature, Mother Nature's bank. One day there is nothing over there. As consumerism increases in the near future and the population of the world continues to grow, do you only see consumption of clothing trending upwards or are are people sort of becoming more conscientious of what they buy? Uh, Do you see this this environmental detriment of overconsumption of clothing only increasing in the near future? I'm a hopeful person. I'm hoping that people are getting more educated every day, are being more educated every day, and they feel that they, hopefully they feel that they have to save the environment. But as long as our politicians are becoming in two camp, anti-science and those that they are in science, they are battling, and one cannot convince the other one, people are gonna be misled that Mother Nature will take care of everything that we do and things will take care of themselves. But it is not. It is not. So that's, that's the whole point, that we need to rethink what we are buying and how long we are going to use that one. How long I'm going to use this shirt? Physically, I don't need more shirt. Psychologically, I need the shirt because... Well, this is kind of out of fashion now. So many people, I'm not saying that every single person is like that, but many people are like that. That's the reason that every keep buying. And, and the fashion industry and advertising industry, it creates emotional need that you need to change your clothes every season. Now, these are the color that you got to wear. If not, well you are not in the right state of mind. Oh my God, after Labor Day and you were white? You know, the whole issue is we have to rethink as human beings, what are our values? What values are important to us? Self-expression is important, but when you go to the bank and there is no money, how you want to express yourself? When you destroy the table in front of you, how you want to do that? So the whole point is for every use, you can use a different product. So that's what you got to be careful. And the most important thing is vote with your wallet 
and buy things that they are more sustainable, but don't buy based on the advertise. Do your homework to see if it's really how they calculate, make them accountable for what they are publishing. Do your homework, read those things, go to their websites and see it's really, and it's good for the environment. been listening to Refrangible, a production of the Center for Design and Material Culture at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. A special thanks to all of our guests who contributed their time to this episode. Nancy and Catherine Dorrell, Sharon Williams, and Dr. Majid Samahdi. If you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe and leave a review. You can also give us a shout out on social media and let us know what you think about the show, or if you have any thoughts or recommendations for future episodes. Just tweet at UW underscore CDMC. And tune in next month for our final episode of season one, all about our bodies. Since last March, our bodies have been under attack. A pandemic, police brutality, and a surge in hate crimes has left us with a new perspective of how to treat, maintain, and take care of our bodies. Keep an eye out for that episode on July 7th. Until then, I'm Jonah Chester. I'm your host, Jonathan Fields, and we'll see you next time.